You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Recently, I've been trying to downsize my life. When it comes to my apartment, for example, getting rid of things that I don't use anymore or take up space. The same idea of downsizing and simplifying my financial obligations, my wardrobe, even my mental energy, when it comes to the thoughts and ideas that can clutter my mind. I went Googling for articles about this, of course, and I found this one called Simple Living Manifesto, which sounded great. But then the title of the blog post was 72 Ideas to Simplify Your Life. (laughs) I mean, who has time for 72 ideas? I mean, that doesn't sound very simple to me. But in all fairness, the writer did give a short list before going into that very long list of ideas. And on this short list, there were two steps. Number one, identify what's most important to you. And number two, eliminate everything else. But figuring out what's important to us can sometimes be a little difficult. And today's guest is an actress and acting teacher who has spent her career figuring out ways to simplify the way we actors move and interact on stage and how we use our energy in performance. Hello, my name is Jocelyn Jones. I was born in New York City, and I live in Santa Monica, California now. I am an author. I am an actress. I am an acting coach, an acting teacher, and a mother, and a wife, a friend, all those human titles. Jocelyn has been one of Hollywood's most prized secret weapons, serving as a confidential creative consultant to some of the highest-paid actors in Hollywood. Well, she's here today with us, offering insights and techniques that can enhance confidence and focus our energies, all while understanding and respecting the unique perspectives each of us bring, not only to acting, but to our own lives as well. She'll also be sharing insights from her most recent best-selling book, Artist, Awakening the Spirit Within. And this is useful for all individuals, whether you're in the arts or not. Because as Jocelyn believes, each of us has artistry and creativity within us that should be respected and nurtured. We're in a time where people really needed to be treated with dignity and respect, particularly in the arts, because the artists are the leaders. They're the only people ever who have inspired us to change a culture. Welcome and thank you for joining me for another episode here on Why I'll Never Make It, an award-winning theater podcast hosted by yours truly, Patrick Oliver Jones, an actor and singer for more than 30 years. Every other week, I talk with fellow creatives who bring us stories from their own life of personal struggles and professional hardships with lessons we can all learn from. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can subscribe, donate, and find past episodes. Again, that's why I'll never make it.com. Well, welcome, Jocelyn. It's so good to meet you. So good to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here. It's nice to meet you. 
Now, you have been in the business quite a long time, starting out as an actress and then getting into coaching. What was that transition like going from actress? I mean, you've continued to be an actress, but then getting into coaching, what was that transition like? Well, I didn't want to be an actress. I tried really hard not to be an actress. And uh, uh, because I thought one actor in the family was quite enough. And I became a model, and I was not a good model, but I was with Eileen Ford. She saw something in me, so I tried. And uh, when I first started with her, uh, you know, they send you out for what they call test shots. So you go to very good photographers, and they're testing film or lights or something. So they get free models, and you get free pictures. You know, so she sent me out, can I have these pictures taken? And I brought them back, and she said, oh, Jocelyn, uh, it looks like they lined your family up against the long shot them. I mean, you look so sad, darling. Nobody calls me up and says, get me the sad girl. Get the sad girl. <laughs> you have to do better. So, I, you know, I, I started creating characters to be in front of the camera because I was so uncomfortable. I felt that lens could see right through me. And uh, when I took those pictures to her, she said, oh, you're an actress. And I went, no, 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 no. I have one of those in the family. That's enough. Don't want to do that. She ignored me, and she didn't have actors. She had models, so she sent me out on acting commercials, and I booked the first commercial she sent me out, which was a PSA for uh, heroin abuse, and I played a heroin addict. It was perfect and sad. Beautiful, girl, you know? yes. Yeah, yeah. So then I thought, oh, I started booking acting jobs, you know, through her. So I thought I should study, and I I began to study. And when I worked, I did work. I worked in film. I worked in theater. I cannot tell you I love the life of an actor. I, I'm a little alpha for that. I did not like going hat in hand and uh, having somebody else decide whether I was good enough or not. And I had been around artists my whole life, and I have a certain kind of a mind. And I would go to classes, and I would not love them. You know, a lot of acting classes, the teacher is kind of guru-esque and authoritative or authoritarian and uh, power struggles. I'm like this with power. I my chin up a little bit with authority. So I, you know, in my head, I was, what should this be? You know what? You know, and he's not teaching technique. And what is the technique? And, and I kind of went through my own questioning process and you know, I would have soirees at my house and I would talk about acting. People said, you have to teach, you have to teach. So people really brought me to teaching. You know, I, I had people come to me who were working actors and saying, you know, somebody told me you should work with me and I'd work with them and they'd be better. So it, it you know, when the glove fits, then the universe just starts you know, making all that go right. And so... Did that feed this alpha personality you say you had as you felt a bit more in control of your career, but also in helping others? I think helping others was much more of a purpose than, you know, uh, I want to say showing off. I don't believe acting is showing off. Um, but I mean, but so, I for also, some people it can be. <laughs> it, it can be for some people. But I also think I was trying to repair damages that I saw. I wanted to be a supportive teacher. I wanted to you know, really appreciate actors because I'd grown up with them my whole life. So uh, I'm a very supportive teacher and I believe in pointing out all the rightnesses. It's important for actors to know what they're doing right as it is for you to 
not really even correct them, but show them what opportunities they were that they missed. And I just believe that particularly now we're at a time where people really needed to be treated with dignity mm -hmm. and respect and uh, particularly in the arts because they're the artists are the leaders. They're the only people ever who have inspired us to change a culture. So uh, they should be treated as such, and then they will rise to that occasion. I believe people rise to the expectations you put on them. Well, for story number one, this deals a little bit with, with what you went through growing up. And okay. you say that you had to uh, to overcome loneliness, and, and you did so in finding spirit in nature as a child. Now, as, yeah. as you mentioned, your your father was an actor. He was actually a Tony Award winning actor. And okay. your mother was a, was into photography and landscape architecture. And so you grew up around an artist community. Yeah. Now, now surrounded by such creativity, what do you think led to this loneliness? Well, you know, artists that can be uh, a little uh, narcissistic. They're they're a little self involved. <laughs> Are times, we really <laughs> at times? And I came from a generation where you kind of put your children on the planet. You know, it's like, okay, I birthed you. There you go. There wasn't a lot of helicopter. There wasn't really a lot of interest. You know, uh, my brother used to make a joke about my father, who I dearly loved, and talk about how devoted I am to him in, in the book. But my brother used to say that, you know, it, it, my father doesn't really care for little children very much. He's not really interested in you until you're old enough to talk about the theater. <laughs> that just makes me laugh because it's really very true. His favorite thing was to talk about beer and tell stories. Was your brother also in the arts? No, he ran away from all of that. He just lives the most normal life you know, possible. But it wasn't just my father, my mother, my father, who's an actor. So there were actors at the table. There were directors at the table. There were, you know, seer people at the table, but there were painters and it was an artist community. So there were painters and choreographers and I mean, people at the very top of their fields. And what I was interested in, and I'll go back to the loneliness, but I just sat back and watched them. And I noticed when they were working and they had a project, they were lit from within. And when the project was over, you know, actors at the end of the job, I'm never going to work again. I, you know, this depression sets in. So I found that interesting. But, you know, mostly the parents were the parent, you know, they were grown ups. You, you weren't allowed to be near the grown ups. And, my parents never really asked me how I was doing in school, what my interests were. They didn't, you know, show very much interest in me. Um, uh, and so for a little child, that is lonely. You know, you feel like, you know, I write a story in the book where I was going to school and I, and I was talking to myself and I was thinking, why don't they care? Why I came here on this planet. I was a little child. I was like five. I came. I have gifts. I have joy. I I want to help. I, you know, I knew I felt very special and I didn't feel seen. And um, I heard this concept came to me, which is, you know, well, we're here, so we might just have to be enough. Mm. Did you feel like you had to raise yourself in some respect? Yes. Yes, I did. And I did that in the woods and on the river and the palisades and the trees were my flesh. Out of my mother trees, you know, there's always a mother tree outside my my 
my window, wherever I live, there's one in New York right now. There's one right outside here, um, which, you know, I meditate with these trees. Trees are very powerful and they're very communicative if you are open to the communication. People just get a little narrow in their interpretations of things. So communication is mostly language, but language is a trap because we have far more capacity for communication than just language through all of our senses. And was this something that you were picking up as a child? Yeah, yeah. That's very intuitive to pick up on that energy that's around us. Well, we have the, you know, an intuitive or an empath is born that way. We're born with a certain, artists vibrate at a very, very high frequency. I tell actors, they don't like to hear this very much, but I tell them, you know, your talent is not, you know, it's not my talent, my talent here. It's not about your talent. It's about your frequency. Artists vibrate in a higher frequency, so they're able to block impulse out of the ether, you know, out of the ethos. And that's why we've had the great artists who have led, you know, generations in new directions, because we're in communion with higher, you know, voices and higher agents who guide us if we listen. And so I had that from a very young age. And it sounds like that that could be what some people describe as the X factor, that it factor, that that kind of unknown abstract thing that actors can have on stage or on screen that it just lights up, it engages in a way that maybe other actors don't. Is that something similar? I, I believe so. I, I think, you know, what happens to an actor on stage when we go like, holy moly, you you can give an actor technique. Uh and, and I love to do that. And if you're a teacher and you don't give an actor technique, you know, you're not worth very much because they have to take something from you that they can then employ elsewhere. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to go into a whole technique course right now, but even place, you know, most actors don't think about, you know, where they are. And everything begins with where you are. There's never going to be a scene that you act anywhere at any time where you are not in a certain environment. So we start with an environment exercise, which is so rich because behavior comes out of the environment. So what are you doing in the environment? What is the, What are the possibilities of the environment? And all of the techniques from environment to picture exercise, all these different exercises, they're about entering the character. You know, I've worked with some incredible film stars and some are movie stars and some are unbelievable actors and the unbelievable academy award-winning actors you know they talk about often research 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 which is a lot of what i do for them is to bring them things that are exciting to them and uh so they research and everything they do they do for this entry they want to enter the character and at some point the character kind of takes over and the character's leading first you're leading and you're trying to where am i what is my inner life what am i thinking what's my opinion about this or that or the other thing what's my job you know you're doing all of this research to discover the character and then at some point it flips around and this is what certain actors are working for which is where the character starts leading you i need this go hang out at this restaurant take your character out into the world and see how they live and operate in the world you know 
we read our reality and we enter their reality and we're released. That's a release, you know, and we go, and then this is why I think actors are important because at the end of the play, when you come back into yourself, you know, I, I think people think like, wow, if he can create that much life out of thin air before my eyes, surely I can do a little better creating my own life. Yes, yes, that is the hope that we can have as as dramatic and wonderful as lives that we live on stage. Yeah, that is certainly true. Or at least as much control creating them, you know, because right. most people, you know, they don't. I mean, that's really why I wrote the book is because I believe there's an artist in everyone and that your first masterpiece is your life. And I want people to take control of their lives consciously and move it in the direction that they want to go. But most people can't answer that first question, which is imperative, which is, you know, if you could do anything in the world, barring all obstacles, what would that be? That's evidently not a very easy question to answer because <laughs> I've asked it to a lot of people. But when you can, and you don't have to answer things right away. Part of my whole teaching is, you know, ask the question, but wait for an answer that excites you, that moves in you, because that's the one. That's the one that's alive. That's the one that came in. That's the one that's loaded for you, that has gifts for you. So, you know, even in other techniques, actors ask questions, but they go with the logical answer. Oh, that's good. That's, lo you know, it's something exciting logically about it. But I'm talking about something that moves and you're like, cool, what's that? You don't even know. That's go after that. Explore that. So do you think that anyone can be a good actor with enough technique? Or do you think there are things that draw people and make people better actors and other things that that means they're not supposed to be an actor? Well, I will tell you the most important ingredient, in my opinion, for an actor is desire. It's ganas, you know, it's desire. I, I, I want it. And it's desire for the right reasons, you know. Um, I'm interested in the spiritual elements of it. I mean, another reason I think actors are so exciting to people, they're sort of our loyalty is that we have all it before, and we played all the parts. And actors remind us of that, you know. Oh yeah, I play. You know, we go. Oh yeah, I know that. I'm watching this fantastic series right now called Astral Bolzano. It's on Amazon Prime, and Astrid is a criminologist who has. Um, she's on the spectrum, and I can feel her. I know her. I know how to, you know. With an actor, my husband turned to me and he goes, you know, you could play this part. I remember you created that character, did she? She kind of said, yes, I could play this part. I know her. Because part of acting is you, you you can get a part, you know, you know, you read it and you go, oh, I, I have something for this part. So if you're a working actor and you're given a part, you know, you didn't audition for it, you didn't you know, audition for it and you go, oh, I can get the part, I know this part, then you give that hit to the to the audition and they go, oh yeah, she took the part, she took the part. With the part, you you take it because you enter it and it becomes yours in some way. If you don't have that off the bat, then you have to ask questions until those connections get excited. So when an actor 
get to like this woman I'm watching almost art. There's something universal about it. It's not just that I could play her. I get her. I love her. I, I get her energy. I mean, I, I think my next book is going to be a straight up acting book. And one of the things I'm interested in talking about to actors is acting from the nervous system. When you can get the nervous system of the character, you, you know, you, you're in there, you know, it's very exciting. <laughs> well, nerves are certainly a part of what we do. That is for sure. <laughs> Whether on stage and, or on screen. Yeah. 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 And we have different nervous systems. We, yeah. You know, there, someone on the spectrum has a different nervous system than, uh, someone who's neurotic in this other way. And getting back to that idea of of loneliness, something that, that you right. encountered as a child, I think that that's something that we encounter as adults too, whether you're in a small city or a place like here, like New York. And now with self-tape auditions and, you know, our home, you know, doing everything in our home, oh. it, it, our world has gotten even smaller. And so how can we best combat this artistic and personal aloneness that we have? Well, I think self-care is really, really important. I mean, a part of that uh, thing with me as a child and finding solace in nature was I endowed, just like an actor endowed certain things with their belief, I endowed nature as uh, my guide spiritually and believed that I was being guided and cared for and protected, you know, and, and I still do, you know, when I'm scared or something, I just put out certain feelers and energies, you know, systems and feel protected. Um, I believe that. So, with actors feeling lonely and and also unsure about their work and you know self-taping and you know you have to do everybody's job so mad at casting directors i i came up in a time when casting directors wanted to meet you they wanted to they were seeking out to new talent you know it was wonderful oh well now there's just too many people to it's too many everything. It's too much of everything. So you have to find your own way. And part of that is self-care. There's a certain way to talk to self and that you're doing very well. And you have to, you know, at the end of the day, be grateful for what you accomplished that day and tell yourself that. That's why journaling is so good. Eat, eat, eat journal and have a conversation with self and be very generous, you know, um, when I had my daughter, you know, it was very healing experience because I decided to parent her exactly it's the way that I would want to be parented. And, you know, and I did that and we have a very close relationship. That's also true with self. I have to parent myself, you know, the way I wanted to be parented. That's harder than parenting your baby the way you want to be parented because you know, we're not very kind to ourselves. We mm. tend to be very, very hard on ourselves. And uh, so, you know, we're more likely to say to ourselves what we didn't do at the end of the day rather than, you know, I showed up for this and I did this and I took a walk and I journaled and I meditated and I, you know, I did these things. And uh, to call yourself by your childhood nickname, to know because we have we have more than one self, you know, we are more than one self. I'm a parent, but I'm also the child. You know, I get hurt feelings. I had my feelings, but at least, you know, I'm 
I'm 72 years old. I had my feelings hurt. Uh, hurt my feelings. That was kind of mean, you know. Yeah, and yeah. and so I had to talk to that child in me. You know, I said, it's okay, Justin. You know, they, maybe they didn't know. It doesn't matter. Let's take our attention off that. I know you're mad. I'm mad. Look at that. I'm really mad, you know. And you just kind of care for yourself in that way. You did really well today. You got through that self tape and you had all those technical problems. And yeah, it's a drag. I can't ever get it. You know, it's like grief. You have to go through it. You have to experience it and you have to talk to yourself at the same time through it and be kind, you know? Yeah. I think so much of what we do as at least personally, I, I know for myself that it's about stopping emotions. It's about, oh, don't go there. Don't feel that. Yeah. But we do. We have to go through it. We have to get it out of our system. You have to go through it. Yeah. You have to feel it. You know, I always say to my students, I go, you know, cry hard, cry deep, deep as you can, deep, 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 cry quick. So <laughs> right. you go in and you really, and, and you know, because actors are so delicate, you know, that sometimes they cry in a critique and I go, oh God, I made her cry. And then so often I tell them, you know, like they cry harder and they kind of look at me like, cry harder? I go, yeah, cry harder. Because if you make yourself cry harder, you're in control. Mm. People think their emotions are bigger than they are. They're not. You just assign them that. So if you assign your emotions as larger than you are, then your emotions are going to be larger. But if you look at them and you go, wow, that's big. That's a lot of crying, you know? That's that whole meditative thing where you create the space by observing. Well, we talk a lot about observing in the book and for Aureus, observing is everything. So, you know, you just, you look at it and then you push it. Push, push the tears, push harder, harder. No, really, wail, wail, wail. And then you see, oh, I took the reins. I'm making it harder. I can make it less. Well, getting to story number two, in this one, you talk about discovering your own way of learning and looking at things as a result of your dyslexia. Now, let's start with the physical aspect first, you know, because different people experience uh, it in different degrees. How has dyslexia affected you? In what way do you encounter it? Well, you know, I, I don't like labels like that. Um, it, it I do use it and I do believe it helped me that I in I didn't discover it until much, much later in my life. And I went, oh, that's why this and this and this happened. So I got very far behind in school because of it. And um, one of the interesting things about it like, to me is, because I saw my daughter doing it, is um, it often has to do with where we are located. So you have to roll with me here. We are spirit in body, you know. But you could be in body facing that direction, or you could be in body facing this direction. So most people are in their body and they're in their body and they're looking forward. Well, the being is in the body and they're looking forward. And dyslexic, just everything is kind of turned a bit. So I walked in one day, my daughter was doing homework and she had her book turned. She was not like this. Her book was like this. So I didn't want to evaluate her in any huge way. So I just said, you know, honey, we have this agreement of when we're in our bodies that we're just going to be in our bodies and we're going to look in the same direction because it saves a lot of confusion. 
So you know, you put the book here in the body and look straight forward, not you know backwards. So sometimes with dyslexia, I think it's a location of where the being is. They're not quite in the body. They're here. They're looking. So the letters don't seem to line up. You know, they're not located in the body. So that's that's one thing to take a look at. But I didn't really recognize it. I just got further and further behind in the studies. And so one of the things I did was become very rebellious and very, you know, well, you're, you know, what you do, you know, you're not good as a teacher, which was often true or most of the time true. And so um, from about the time I was 14, I would just get up and walk out Oh wow! Um, because the cherry blossoms would be in bloom in the park. And I'd go, you know, history where I have this guy who doesn't even care about the subject. This is also why I became a teacher. I had a lot of bad teachers. And I go, the first thing is you have to know your subject and you have to care about it and you have to care about, you know, giving that information to each individual in the room because they're all different and they're all going to receive it differently. Anyway, I'd get up and leave. So then they'd call my father and he'd have to go in and they'd go, Henry, you know, she just leaves the school we can't she's 14 years old she can't just get up and walk out of the school you know we have to help us you have to do something and you know my father would look at them and go you know i think it's your job to engage her interests <laughs> <laughs> so he he kind of caught it yeah he kind of yeah, caught I mean, it you know she's really smart so i think it's your job to engage her Anyway, the long and the short of it was torturous for me. I had a couple of good teachers and I did well because everything kind of slowed down and they got me and they said, what about this? Or what, they engaged so me. So what, at what moment did you realize that dyslexia was what was affecting this? Oh, I was an adult. I was in my 20s, you know, and, uh, you know, I just realized that, oh, it wasn't just that I was a brat who didn't do my homework. It was that. You know, if you're reading and you're not understanding what you're reading, you're going to fall asleep. You're not, you know, you know, the reason reading is so important and it's very important for imagination and it's one of the key reasons we're in trouble right now is when you read, you make pictures in your head. You take the words off the page and you make pictures. You make a movie in your head. So if you and I read the same novel, you know, I'd love to see your movie because your movie, your pictures are going to be very different than my pictures. And that's your imagination. That's how you train imagination. We can't live in a world without imagination because, you know, the brass as human beings, we want to evolve. That's how we evolve is with our imagination. So when you mess with the school system and you take out reading and screens or, you know, how that's what's happened is, you know, we have all these screens so people don't want to read. But, you know, if you watch, I watch a movie, I don't really retain it. I enjoy it, but I don't retain it. If I read a book, I remember everything. Right. It is a bit more of a, uh, it's a physical experience. You're holding the book, you're reading the words, you're taking that in. And as you say, creating You're making that. most picture. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, what about auditionings and, and readings yourself as an actress? Did it affect that? Yeah, I told my agent, you know, you can't, I won't go on a cold reading. and But I would cover it. I would say it's because, I wouldn't say it's because I can't do a cold reading because I, I'm going to be nervous and I can't line up the words and make decisions about it. I would say, you know, I won't do that because I can't give my work over to it, which was true. 
you know, I, you know, you have to give actors time to imagine and create something to deliver to you. You know, it's, it's useless to have an actor come in and go, well, well, what, you know, it's a trick. It's worthless. How did others treat you as you were going through this rebellion, as you didn't really know what was happening there? How did people react and treat you? Well, I was just that she's a problem. We don't know what to do with her. You know, she's a problem. So I got thrown out of a lot of schools. I was sort of proud of it, you know. And then I quit in uh, the 11th grade. I didn't have enough credit to go into the 11th grade. So, uh, you know, again, they called my dad in. <laughs> Poor father. They called him in and they said, you know, I remember this woman said, I tell the story in the book, I go. She said, you know, Henry, it's not for everybody. And he just freaked out. He goes, are, are, what do you mean it's not for everybody? School is not for everybody. Are you telling me I should let my daughter drop out of school? Um, she said, I think she's going to be okay. She's really small. She's really strong-headed. So, you know, he, he was very disappointed. I mean, my father came from an education where they debated in Latin. You know, oh wow, can, can right, you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not just learned Latin, they debated in Latin. I mean, that was the most impressive thing to me. Um, so he wanted, you know, he wanted me to be book smart and go to university and do all those things, but it just was not my way. It was never, I, I could not, I could not have a straight line forward. I had to figure things out my own way. and with my own intuitions and with my own permissions from self, like, yes, this is the direction, go in that direction. Mm. Now, as far as, you know, you didn't discover it or, or that dyslexia name didn't come to your 20s, as far as the techniques and learning to get through it, has that impacted how you learn and teach in other ways, like as an actress or now as a teacher? Well, I think learning is very individual. Like I was saying, as a teacher, you have to reach everybody in the room. So uh, it certainly has impacted in that way in my intention. I also believe your intention is everything. So as a teacher, my intention was to see the student because, you know, I felt that was the first problem I encountered growing up is that I was not seen. And then I wasn't seen by those teachers. I wasn't seen for, you know, having a, a problem uh, learning, a learning disability. I wasn't seen for my sensitivity. I wasn't seen for my higher consciousness. I wasn't seen. And that's very lonely. You know, you feel like, what the heck? And then, um, you know, when I was 25, I met my husband. So we've been together for 45 years and he's my best friend. And, you know, it, it's made my life global to have someone to see and someone to be seen by. But my intention then as a teacher was to see who was in front of me and see them. What what happens is I see them at their best and then they see that it's reflected. Their best is reflected in me and then they rise to that occasion. Yeah, it's that idea of, uh, you know, I see it in romantic movies a lot, but they say, you know, oh, if only you could see you as I see you, you know, then yes. you, would, you would love yourself, that idea. Yeah. Yes, but it's sad that you can't see the beauty in you. And I feel that way about every day. You know, I walk and I meet strangers and I feel that way. You're so beautiful, you know, and you don't see how beautiful you are. 
Um, and that's just creating space to be open and see someone. If you're open, you receive it. Yeah. It's quite something. You know, I have a, a series coming out. Did you know this? I have a 16-part masterclass series coming out. Okay. And you can see this relationship between actors and teacher. The actors, uh, there's 16 actors, and it kind of travels through their work. And you get to know them through interviews and stuff. And they are spectacular. I mean, you know, it's an independent series, so we've been editing ourselves. And, you know, the editor and my husband's the director, and they'll put it together, and then I'll take a look at the episode, and I'll look at the acting and go, oh, my God, what am I going to say? I mean, it's just beautiful. I have no idea. What is the critique? Because I don't remember what I said. This is all happening so much. But then, you know, I'll find something to point out, the rightnesses as well as when there's the look over here and maybe there's something cool. Throughout the decades, how would you say your teaching has changed or grown? Well, it it became about 10 years ago, I gave myself permission to be as spiritual, to talk about the importance of actors and acting and artists spiritually as leaders no, um, and and I had to give myself permission to do that because you know that's not for everybody. Everybody's like not not sure about that, because also actors, you know, I'm trying to guide them away from the narcissism that comes with acting and the, you know, I was telling them peel your attention off of yourself and put it on other things. So. I talk a lot about the power of observation because when you can learn to observe without judgment and practice observing without judgment, and it is a practice because we live in the most judgmental times probably in the history of humanity. Why? I mean, but people are very, very, very judgmental and they do it automatically. So everything they look, every walking around, we take things in, but they, we run them through, you know, judgment. We run them through, oh, this is better than that. It's better than this. It's not ideal. It's, you know, clean that part up, whatever it is. You know, we run it through a filter of judgment, which makes us feel smart and it makes us feel right. Oh, I, th- I think that's the big one. As long as I'm right, then, I, then I, I'm, I'm a better person. I'm good. I'm on the right path because I'm right. Yeah. Because I'm right. That's, you know, we live in and legal times. You know, I'm right. No, but I'm right. Okay, but there's, you know, okay, you're so right. But, you know, there's other parts of that, right? There Could there be something you're not saying? Could there be something available that you're not saying completely? Can you crack that door open a little bit? And if so, what would it be? So when you have students practicing observing without judgment, you are creating space all the time. When you observe without judgment, you create space uh, between you and what you're looking at, and you discover what's interesting to you because, you know, acting and art is about discovery for yourself. And really, it's my definition of art is the expression of your discoveries. If you hadn't discovered anything, then there is nothing to explore. You're just going to, you know, Go by what you think somebody will like, or what you think is cool, or what you think will sell, or what you think. I'm trying to get out of the think 
and into the heart. We're about to head into Jocelyn's third and final story, where she talks about her struggle against ageism in our industry and the ways in which she has confronted it. But you should know that the conversation doesn't end there. For when me subscribers, they not only get early access to these episodes, but they also get the full conversation with guests like Jocelyn, where she talks about a very nervous and sweat-inducing audition, as well as answers the final five questions. This full episode and other bonus content are available to those who become a monthly or yearly subscriber to Why I'll Never Make It. For a few dollars a month, you'll not only support these podcasting efforts, but you'll also get to hear extended conversations with guests you won't find anywhere else. And you won't have to listen to these promotional interruptions either. So please consider lending your financial support to this podcast with a monthly or yearly subscription by going to whyillnevermakeit.com and click subscribe. And if you'd rather just make a one-time donation, you can do that as well. And I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to Brie Cardera for her donation this past week. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. And if you'd like to make a donation like Brie, then you'll find a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, that gets us into story number three. You say that you've had to overcome age stereotypes, the way people think about you just because you're in your 70s and how you've started to produce your own work now at this time. What kind of stereotypes have you personally had to fight against? Well, uh, you know, you get aged out of things. Um, I don't know that I was aged out of coaching. I didn't want to coach movie stars anymore. It became, you know, 24-7. They're all a little high maintenance. (laughs) Um, You know... Uh, I'm very good at what I do, and if you're good at it, then they want more, and you want more, and you want more, and then calling at three o'clock in the morning. You're going, you know, like, do you have? I I have a life here, you know. You're you're a bit of a therapist, I assume. I guess because of my own history, I understand what people need, and so I give them things that they haven't been given before, and most of that is just by acknowledgement and seeing things. Um, well, you know, offering offering things that maybe they don't even offer themselves. So, you know, I don't know. It's not really therapy, but it does make people feel better. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> to, to have someone in their corner who believes in them and who sees them. So it just became right for me. I think after 30 years, I didn't want to have an ongoing class anymore. Um, I didn't know I was going to stop teaching. My my mother was dying, and she asked me to come be with her. And, uh, so I left. I left everything. I closed the studio, and I went, and I did that. And it took a year. It was a huge growth process. And it took over a year. And, um, to, you know, she died, and then the memorial, and then I had to sell the house, and then I had to empty the house. And, you know, it's a full evolution to close out a life. So then when I came back, it was like, am I going to go back to teaching? And I had a hard time getting, I was tired. I was very, very tired. I had seen my dad out his there. I'd seen my mom out and I'd taught for 13 years and, and I just couldn't get it up to 
open the class back up again. So I started to write. Did it feel like your cup was empty in that respect? So you wanted to fill it in another yes. way? Yes. I didn't 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 have anything more to give. Um which is it's difficult because, you know, even though I felt I had no more to give, everyone who wanted me to teach that knew that I had more, you know, I know what you have to give and I want it. But you know, it was a turning point for me to put myself first and not do what was expected. What, you know, uh, I just didn't say, we will have no income. I'm going to write. I rented a little apartment in New York and I would, you know, go to New York often and, and write in this little studio on the park. And well, I just, you know, I thought, oh, I'll take a year sabbatical. I'll take a year or two sabbatical and I'll write a book. And, you know. and then I realized, oh, well, I'm doing my thing. And so then when I went back, I thought, I'll do an eight-week seminar, which filled immediately with the, all of the actors who'd studied with me the longest. I mean, I have people who studied with me for 20 years. And that thing was filled overnight. And then we just, you know, I thought, well, whatever we filmed it. I mean, it all happened like that. You know, that's the universe when they go, okay, look at it. I thought, whatever we filmed it. And so I have our editor and some filmmakers look into renting equipment. And, you know, the insurance is so lethal. You can't, we couldn't afford it because of the insurance. So then I thought, well, what if we bought the equipment? So we just took all the money that came in and built our own little film studio. And my husband is a director and he taught at USC. He taught filmmaking at USC. So he has made a lot of filmmakers and he brought that syllabus to the studio and the actors loved it. They, you know, 16 actors would sign up and make films with him, learn how to make films. And some of them left acting and became directors, they became filmmakers. So we had three, our stu- we bought three cameras and he had three cameramen that came right out of the classes that he taught. So we just started shooting it and it came in us for years to edit it. And uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's really, I, I, you know, I don't say that easily. Anyone who does me, well, I don't say that easily, but, but we're really proud of it because the actors just shine. And I don't know if you've ever done scene work in a class, but in my classes, you know, actors know they're expected to bring everything they know how to do to a scene so that I can give them a critique on what they, you know, where they could go from there, not what they didn't take the time to do. So I'm, I'm kind of have very high expectations. So they rehearse 20, 30, 40 hours for a scene. And, uh, it shows, you know, it's like small theater. It's just beautiful. And you give them props and couches and chairs and boom, they create entire environments, lighting, music, everything. It, it's pretty great. Pretty yeah, great. I mean, it sounds like something that you certainly hadn't anticipated, but I, I think that's one of the themes of this podcast is that we're constantly evolving and changing and transforming into maybe another chapter or even another book of our life. Yeah. Yeah, and to just trust, ask questions and trust in those impulses and things that come in that you know because your heart your heart pounds a little hard and your stomach flips over a little. 
That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> well, with your new book, which is called Artist Awaking the Spirit Within, did you feel that energy as, as you were writing it? Did you feel like, oh, this this is what I need to be doing right now? Absolutely. Well, you know, I had a lot of people asking me to write an acting book. And I didn't want to write an acting book because there are so many acting books. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to contribute anything there. But I wanted to write something, and I wanted it to be memoir. I wanted to tell the stories that taught me the lessons that I then fashioned into a key to give to my students. And then in the book, I wanted to take the teaching that I gave to actors and give it to the layman to create a more artful life. So that was the whole evolution of the book. And it felt very channeled. I mean, there, I, I go back and I, to the stand, go back and read it and have, you know, go, wow, where'd that come from? That's lovely. <laughs> Down. Well, I mean, this is certainly a, a book that I, I think it'd only be written by someone who's been there and had life experience, you know, to back it up. But what what do you hope readers take away from your book most? Autonomy. I hope that they use the book to really understand that your life is in your hands and you can create it exactly as you want to. And there are many exercises in there that will help you do that. Yeah, it sounds like you're urging people to to kind of tune out the noise, connect with our inner truths, our inner selves. But but as you know, acting as well as directing, choreographing, even writing, it's a collaborative effort. So then how do we as artists balance that need for support, collaboration, but also this strong sense of confidence and self-reliance? Well, you know, you have to be willing to take the time to give the time to yourself that you need for meditation and for self-reflection. And you have to be able to create time with others. Well, people don't give dinner parties anymore. They don't, you know, have readings at your house. Read a play a week with a group, you know. Rent a theater. You know, it is true that, you know, a guy who plays a saxophone can practice at home all day long. But an actor needs some space and other actors and some structures to really practice his arm. Yeah, I mean, because so much of what we, as you say, that power of observation, so much of what we as actors can only do is based upon what someone else has given us. Yeah, or from ourselves, because if we don't get what we want from the other actor, we have to imagine. And, you know, if you've done any film work or anything, you know, they're going to put you in extreme close-up. There's nobody there. You're acting to the corner of the, here's your, where's my eyeline there? I'm acting to the corner of the Yeah, you're the looking computer. at the exit sign. <laughs> yes, yes. And so you have to endow that with what you want to be receiving. Yeah. So it, it, it is, you know, they're God, actors are godlike. They have to bring it, give, they have to create the whole world and on all sides of it. At this point, looking back on your career, but also where it is right now, do you feel like a like a goddess that you've been in control as much as you wanted to be? I feel like I did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I feel I've done the best, you know, that I could at the time. And I believe, you know, we are always exactly where we need to be to learn the next lesson. 
I have believed for a long, long time that wherever I am, I brought myself there. I'm totally responsible for this place and time. And if it has negativities and problems and challenges to it or grief or, you know, that's all part of what I need to confront and grow from. Yeah, because whether or not someone else may have brought that grief to us, it's still up to us to to process it, to deal with it, to then come out through it and ahead of it. Yeah, can't get through life without experiencing all those things. We played all the parts. We've had all the emotions. What do you feel that you now have to offer in your 70s that maybe you couldn't have offered when you were younger? Well, I think there's books to write, and I think there's an example to set, you know, at this stage, I, I want all of us to say an example. I, I want, you know, just because we're talking, there's something going on in Facebook right now. I, I do use Facebook just to sort of put things out there and check in with people. And there's a, a, a two, several groups that I know, and they're having this very public, really nasty thing, separation, blow up in a group. And they want everyone to take sides, including me, which I'm just not going to be involved in that kind of thing. But um, these things happen. And what I want for people is meditation is really powerful. You know, five minutes, 10 minutes a day, because what happens is we separate from our ego. You know, our egos are, you know, we start working on these egos at a very young age and we love them. They're our greatest creation. And, you know, like this, I'm a rebel one. You know, we have these personalities and we just adore them. Sometimes we think that we're our personality, but we're not. We're not. We are a spiritual being in a body that doesn't have, it's an energy. We're an energy. Um, and so... I want people to center in that energy and send out, you know, high frequency love to the planet. And uh, the more people who do that collectively, the more things like that will work themselves out because the energy thing there. This is this battling energy going on with some very high-spirited people, some very evolved people, and they're just misbehaving. And they're going on and on, and, you know, women are being suppressed, and men are terrible. And, and this is a lot of baloney. We're all just human beings, you know. And this is no way to solve anything. It's to try to make points on mm. Facebook of all places. And that's what's going on. People are trying to make points and, and they're destroying someone's reputation in the process. And, um, when you sit back and you spend five minutes, so because that is very sad and disturbing to me, my actions having to do with that will be to spend five to 10 minutes in a meditative set, just debate, sending love to those people and peace and calmness. And the more that we practice that, because life is a practice, you are what you practice, the more that we practice that, the more that we can elevate, you know, humanity on the planet. And, and the, the higher your frequency on the planet, the more you see, the more possibility there is to solve the enormous problems that we're facing. Like, 
And it sounds like one of your biggest missions is for each individual, actor or otherwise, to realize the power that they have within themselves. Yes, yes. In that autonomy, you know, like really taking care of self and knowing how to do that, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, if I can give that, you know, to the book, then I will have fulfilled my teaching. Well, Jocelyn, this has been such a, a great conversation. I really appreciate you sharing all that you have and just being so open and candid with us. So I, I greatly appreciate you being here. Thank you. It was a complete pleasure. I love your mission. I love what you're doing. Well, thank you. And just listening to you, I'm like, I bet her class would be really great to be in. I can see why people want to be around you and with you and in your classes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And remember, you'll get early access to future episodes by becoming a WinMe subscriber. But I never want finances to keep anyone from this bonus content. So if a monthly or yearly subscription isn't possible for you, then please contact me at whyillnevermakeit at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to offer you a reduced price or even free subscription. There's also an email link you can find in the show notes. Well, until next time, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and publishing this podcast, which is a production of WinMe Media. Background music used in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions and John Bartman. Be sure to join me in two weeks as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.